This is increment 148 of Hebrews 2020. We see Jesus. Today I want to backtrack a little and use Hebrews chapter 6 verses 7 through 10 as a text that will be helpful in teaching a subject called the dialectics of history. Please don't be put off by that title or by the apparent complexity of it. And so in order to do that, we're going to use our usual method of beginning with prayer. And Father, we thank you today for the spirit of truth whom our Lord Jesus promised us would guide us into all the truth. And we know that that will occur today and that the Holy Spirit will also give glory to our Lord Jesus Christ and to you, Father. And may this message be to your glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My plan is to use Hebrews 6, 7 to 10 in an oversimplification of Bernard Lonergan's theory of history. I'm going to say that again. My plan is to use Hebrews 6, 7 through 10, a passage we just passed through, and use it to teach an oversimplification of Bernard Lonergan's theory of history, which he outlined in his early writings and developed throughout his life and career. Now, oversimplification usually means that we are diluting the meaning of something so it's actually not an accurate description of a topic or a concept. But here, I'm using oversimplification as a method of teaching. I'm using it as a teaching device to get across a theory of history that simply doesn't deal with the complex intricacies that are actually involved in a full development of that theory. As usual, there are some people who are interested in following up on topics like the dialectics of history. And most of the gist of this theory comes from the last volume of the Lonergan Collection, volume 25, which itself is a compendium of some seminal writings that Lonergan produced in the mid to late 1930s when he himself was in his early 30s. For a more thorough and detailed treatise on his theory of history, I would recommend a careful reading of that volume, as well as his treatment of history as a theological functional specialty in his book called Method in Theology. Robert Michael Duran has also produced a heavy and academic volume, that's a warning, called Theology and the Dialectics of History, and a slightly more readable three-volume set, the third is on its, way, on its way, called The Trinity in History. Also recommended is a pretty readable book by Frederick E. Crow, C-R-O-W-E, called simply Christ and History, The Christology of Bernard Lonergan from 1935 to 1982. Crow's Christ in History was published in 2015. Now we've already shown that history as a theological functional specialty is an indispensable 
tool for the study of Hebrews. Understanding this theory of history that we're going to study today and maybe into the next increment, in fact, I'm sure, in the next increment, this study has the potential to greatly encourage us not only with the eschatological hope, which has to do with the hope of the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ, but with the hope of the possibility and even the probability of a renewal within history or renewals and of confronting the present decline in history with a dynamic that can result in the arrest of decline and the introduction of a historical renewal or even a renaissance. That's what Lonergan called it. Once again, this will involve an oversimplification of Lonergan's theory of history, and I'll do it with lower blade data from the scriptures, particularly Hebrews 6, 7 to 10, to cite this scissors analogy. By scissors, we simply speak of the two blades, the upper blade in a pair of scissors being the data of a theory, the lower blade in this case being scriptures or documentation from the scriptures that comes up to and crosses the upper blade. This is truth that cuts it, if I may be a little facetious. Now first, in this oversimplification of a theory of history. First, there are three trajectories of history. Progress, decline, and renaissance. I'll say that again. Three trajectories or lines, we could say, of history. Progress, decline, and renaissance. Or we could say redemption. For renaissance or redemption, we can substitute renewal or rebirth. Second, there are three dialectics in history. The natural dialectic, the dialectic of sin, and the supernatural dialectic. These will be explained as we go along. The natural dialectic means that history would proceed on an ideal line of progress if Human beings thought and acted according to nature without sin. That is, really, according to reason without sin involved. Now, this is what Lonergan calls an ideal line. Now, I want to illustrate this by reverting to a gun analogy, if I may, once again. A shooter is firing a long-range rifle at a target at a thousand yards out. Now, if that gun was perfectly sighted in, and if all conditions were right, if there was no wind at the moment when the shooter is about to fire, the curvature of the earth is perfectly accounted for by him, elevation is duly noted, the target securely placed, the shooter perfectly relaxed and breathing correctly, 
and there's no involuntary muscle twitch or sudden mental distraction, the trigger is squeezed with exactly the right amount of pressure, then the bullet would travel in an ideal line and strike the heart of the X in the center of the target, right in the center of the X ring of the bullseye, and it would do so every time. But we all know that those conditions will not pertain every time and that the bullet will not travel in an ideal line every time and perfectly strike the center of the X every time. And that's like the ideal line of history. Mankind does not pr proceed on a line of reason and according to his nature made in the image of God without the influence of the reign of sin, man does not do that. There is no ideal line of history then except theoretically. So this bullet will not travel every time in the same direction and hit the X ring because a slight wind could kick up, which is analogous to what we call the accidents of history. A butterfly or a bumblebee could fly through the path of the bullet just before the bullet reaches its target and cause what long-range shooters like to call bug-wing turbulence. Just enough disturbance of the air to send the bullet off target. The shooter could be distracted or he could be sh slightly shaky from too much morning coffee or too much beer the night before. The ideal line of fire will simply not be traveled by a humanly fired long-range rifle every single time. Now, because sin has passed to all the human race through Adam, the ideal line of history is not realizable in this world and in this evil age. Nevertheless, human beings can and may, and in fact have in certain segments of history, acted according to reason, generally speaking, and a society can develop, and in fact, has developed from time to time along the lines of reason. It can produce documents or constitutions and a system of reasonable laws which are minimally invasive to freedom. The trajectory of the history of a people or a civilization can develop and can proceed along a progression line which, while not ideal, is at least orderly and peaceful where reasonable economics is developed, where people live and let live, where a mutual human understanding is exercised and a government governs with the consent of and to the benefit of the governed. And the governed are generally not rebellious, but rationally, sensibly honor their elected representatives or even in the case of a monarchy, the king and queen of a benevolent monarchy, and they honor one another and appreciate and acknowledge the freedom of and privacy of one another, etc. This has happened at times in history. Now, there are what are called accidents of history. Plagues, floods, earthquakes, hurricanes, famines, other kinds of disasters and catastrophes. 
But a society established with reasonably ordered freedom can weather these disasters, recover in time, and move forward. Such a society will not hit the heart of the X-ring every time, but it can move forward on a fairly straight line of progress. Reason is the base rock of the line of progress in history. I'll say that again. Reason is the base rock of the line of progress in history. The reign of sin, spoken of in Romans 5.21 and 6.12, really all through Romans 6 and other places, the reign of sin, R-E-I-G-N, though not entirely overcome in the progress line of history, is nevertheless checked to a reasonable degree, and people are reasonably unified by a vision of human freedom and the possibility of blessing and prosperity for all. Now this is an overgeneralization, and I think you'll see what I mean by oversimplification, but hopefully to the point that we can understand something about the theory of history. History stays generally on a trajectory of progress on the base rock of human reason and through the natural virtues of human beings who, though sinful, have their sinfulness in check by reasonable laws and through common human virtues and respect for what is good and pure, lovely and praiseworthy, honorable and honest. The reign of sin does not run amok and when and wherein it does, individuals or groups are checked, and in the case of criminality, they are arrested and made accountable by an equitable jurisprudence and an even-handed application of law and order. And so it is that history proceeds on a fairly consistent but not ideal line of progress. Now, I want to warn you, I'm not using the word progress in the sense that those who call themselves progressives use the term today. Sometimes progressive means making progress toward the fundamental deterioration of human freedom and the strengthening of tyrannical controls. I'm not talking about that kind of progress or progress. Sometimes progressive means progress in the wrong sense. So I'm not using it. I'm using it in the general, almost physical, or in the sense of physics, a progression line. Ordered freedom. Not libertine freedom, but ordered freedom tends toward natural unity, natural solidarity, and even a generally friendly cooperation and care for one's neighbor. There is secondly the dialectic of sin, where sin is defined as the denial or defiance of reason. When the reign of sin gains unchecked prevalence in society or civilization, history begins to regress or decline. 
The dialectic of sin means that people and governments generally act against reason and against reasonable laws. The scripture says, 1 John 3, 5, all sin is lawlessness. All sin is therefore unreasonable. When the dialectic of sin overcomes the dialectic of nature or the natural dialectic, then conditions begin to pertain that are described in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. People become unreasonably narcissistic and egocentric, reckless and headstrong. Ressentiment begins to be the attitude of the day. Schadenfreude, a social pressure. The love of money becomes the root of all kinds of evil and misery. 1 Timothy 6.10 Ideological winds of doctrine kick up to push the unstable and to adopt destructive and tyrannical philosophies. As the dialectic of nature tends to unity, the dialectic of sin creates disunity, fragmentation, and even the atomization of people. Eventually, every person does what is right in their own eyes, in their own subjective opinion, minus reason. The dialectic of sin proceeds on the base rock of stupidity and absurdity, even as the natural dialectic proceeds on the base rock of reason. History, under the reign of sin, runs amok. Heads with its obsession for, and society rather, heads in its obsession for bread and circuses toward destruction. Say that again. History, under the reign of sin, runs amok. Heads toward chaos and catastrophe. One is reminded of Rome which disintegrated from within with its obsession for bread and circuses long before it was overrun by the barbarians at the gate. And we're reminded of the case of Babylon the Great in Revelation 17 and 18 and her rich man consort in Luke 16 and the dialectic of sin that resulted in the crucifixion of the Messiah, the persecution of the new sect of Christ followers, and the catastrophic destruction of Jerusalem with her vaunted temple in A.D. 70. But then, and I'm very grateful and thankful and even happy about this, there is the supernatural dialectic, which is potency for historical renaissance. And this, again, renaissance, we use the word in its strict sense of rebirth, not to be confused with the period of Western history called, whether accurately or not, the Renaissance. The natural dialectic cannot arrest the deterioration that is ongoing in the dialectic of sin. But a supernatural dialectic can and does arrest that decline. The natural virtues of the rational animal that is natural man cannot stave off the deleterious effects of the dialectic of sin and of history's resultant decline. Only a supernatural dialectic is equal to that task and more. The supernatural dialectic is the power to produce the redemption of history or a renaissance 
or rebirth within history, such that there is not only a recovery of conditions that pertain before its devastating decline, but it even brings forth a situation which surpasses that former state. Now, for our purposes, and I hope you're being attentive, that's why I put these things in print, so that this can be read and even studied if you're interested. But for our purposes, that supernatural dialectic, dialectic, as Lonergan called it, is inextricably linked to what I call the free state of soteria and the dynamic state of love, another term of Lonergan. It is the dynamic and supernaturally energetic activity of not natural, but supernatural virtues of the love of God poured out in human hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, of the faith that is energetic and active and ignited by that love, a participation in the very faith and faithfulness of the Son of God, of a hope that overflows by the power of the same Holy Spirit who is the gift of God's own love. Hope that is the expectation of the highest divine good, of participation in the divine nature. The evils that arise in the historical dialectic of sin are not overcome by a natural dialectic. They are overcome by the supernatural dialectic. I want to repeat. The evils that arise in the historical dialectic of sin, speaking of human evils, are not overcome by a natural dialectic. They are not overcome by an equal force of justice. They are overcome by a supernatural good, by a supernatural dialectic, which has the power to produce not only individual regenerations, but historical regeneration, historical renaissance, the redemption of history. Again, this is an oversimplification of a theory of history, and it's an oversimplified outline, a blurred outline, to use Lonergan's own words, but it's enough of an outline to give us hope. Now, before we forget Hebrews, and I haven't, and I don't think I will. Now, before we forget Hebrews, let's work the scissors and bring up the lower blade data in Hebrews 6, 7 to 10 to meet the upper blade data of a theory of history. The upper blade in this scissors analogy is our oversimplified theory of history. The lower blade is the scriptural data that we bring to meet this theory. Or, more specifically, that we bring up to meet this theory. The specific lower blade data is Hebrews 6, 7 through 10. And I'm going to conclude fairly rapidly with this. And this is kind of an introduction on the theory of history. I think we'll be working on this for some time. And I have a second phase of this that will be coming in increment 149 coming up.
This is 148, I believe. I hope I introduced it correctly. So before we forget Hebrews, let's go there. Without the lower blade meeting and brushing with the upper blade, this message really wouldn't cut it. In other words, we need scripture. It really wouldn't provide us with a real boost of objective optimism for our own time in history and therefore for coming generations. So to use a paramanasia, to cut to the chase a para. Nomasia. Hebrews 6-7 provides an analogy to the natural dialectic in history. Please note this. If you turn to Hebrews 7, blessed are you. I'll say it again. Hebrews 6-7 provides an analogy to the natural dialectic in history. It says this. For the land that drinks the rain that falls on it and falls on it often and produces a vegetation useful to those it is cultivated for, receives a blessing from God. That's analogous to the natural dialectic of history, a natural progression line, thanks to the blessing of God on unbelievers and believers alike, incidentally. Hebrews 6.8 gives us an apt analogy to the dialectic of sin, in history for Hebrews 6 8 says but if it brings forth thorn plants and briars it is useless about to be cursed and will be burned in the end this is a an analogy to the dialectic of sin that tends toward deterioration and ultimately destruction finally however Hebrews 6 9 to 10 offers an appropriate illustration for the super dialectic of history. And here, he, here the writer writes, now even though we're speaking in this rhetorical manner, beloved, we're completely persuaded in your case of the better things, even the things that belong to salvation. And I'll add to the supernatural dialectic. For God is not unjust to neglect or forget your work and the love you showed for his name when you served the saints and you're still serving them. Now these verses, 6, 9, and 10, reveal the supernatural dialectic which in essence is the operation of human beings in the free state of soteria, pre-moved by the mind of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, these verses reveal the supernatural dialectic, which in essence is the operation of human beings in the free state of soteria and in the dynamic state of love with its two dimensions. Love has two general dimensions, supernatural love for God and supernatural love for others expressed in service that is pre-moved by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not a historian, 
nor am I a sociologist. I'm just a pastor teacher, not a professor, a pastor. So I'm oversimplifying a theory of history and of historical sociological effects under three dialectics in order to foster a hope in the hearers, in you, and in the readers of this. And with the result that I hope, our hope will not only be ultimate in the eschatological hope, but also with regard to history itself, even with respect to our own time and that of generations to come. But come what may, progress, decline, or renaissance in history, Whatever comes, we must never allow our primary hope to be other than the expectation of the appearance for the second time of our great God and Savior, the Son of Righteousness who will come with healing in his wings. For he comes with salvation for all human beings and all of creation. We have reason for confidence, as I have reason for confidence in God through Christ Jesus for you and for your operation in the supernatural dialectic. And so this message today or this increment, this slight and small contribution to our study of Hebrews is going to be brief today because I think it's rather chock full of new information so that you can process it. I hope you'll read these notes and I hope you'll benefit by them. And we are going to continue in our next increment, which is increment 149, in this continuation of an oversimplification of a theory of history with the intent that you will continue with hope toward the end. So, Father, I thank you for this time, and I express to you my confidence. My confidence is in you. My confidence is from you. My confidence is expressed for the listeners today and for all of us, and even for our nation and our generation and the generation to come. Our confidence is in you through Christ Jesus for our listeners, for our generation, for generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen.